Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am well, although I've had a a question from Mary that's slightly thrown me off course. Um, And Mary's question is, is there any chocolate I don't like eating? That is a very good question, Mary. I think I'd have to say anything with raisins in because that's not chocolate. That's just muesli gone wrong, I would say. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. No. Oh, now, come on. Anything sort of high levels of cocoa. Again, that that's health food. That's not chocolate. So there should be different categories. You can't call that chocolate for me. Um, that, that's something that should be sold in a health food shop only so there we go thanks mary i do love everyone's questions and how they mainly relate to food consumption because i do think that i haven't particularly i haven't learned a language over lockdown i haven't learned the fine art of origami uh, i have just excelled in the consumption of cake um, that's that's what i'm taking out of lockdown that and the many pounds I seem to have gained so that's very good but no love all love all your questions um we've got some great books to talk to you about today um I'm going to be discussing Queenie by Candy Candice Carty Williams that I've reread just now uh, this is not a love story by Mary Hargreaves The Catch by T.M. Logan and um an audio a celebration, a podcast that I think will make you laugh. It certainly made me laugh called Lockdown Parenting. And get this, another author interview, this time with the fantastic Jenny Blackhurst. She's got five books out, um, all sort of psychological thrillers. And uh, hopefully you'll find the interview with her interesting. Um, What's going on in the lovely Facebook group, I hear you ask? Well, let me tell you. Um, By the way, if you want to join us, just go to Facebook, put in Quick Book Reviews podcast podcast the usual delightful orange image of me reading a book should come up and uh, just uh, just join us it'd be great to have you along um at the moment we've got joanne's reading not alone second contact uh, by craig falconer um this is a sort of series of sci-fi books i've got the first one that does look really interesting um, but it's quite long and so i just need to knuckle down and uh, start enjoying that book but she's on the second one so well done her laura's just about to start on chesel beach by in McEwen, um and rachel is reading the one by john Mars. Very good book as well. So lots, lots going on there. Um, so let's, let's talk books, shall we? Queenie, I've 
I know I've gone on about Queenie a few times, but I was finishing this book um, in the bath. Uh, I was in the bath. I didn't put the book in the bath to finish reading it. It's not a great way of uh, being able to to read the words, I'd suggest. Um, and it made me cry. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. How many books have made me cry? Well, Queenie made me cry the first time. And there's only one other book that I've ever cried on, a Jojo Moy's book. Um, and then thought, well, is it being in the bath that's making me cry? I don't know. Please tell me your experiences. When and where have you cried about a book? That's our question of the week. Um, but anyway, Queenie is just a, a, a super one. Let me let me read you the blurb. Sometimes I feel frantic and I feel like everything has just spun out of control, out of my hands. I don't know. I feel a bit like for a while I've been carrying 10 balls of wool and one ball fell. So I dropped another to catch it but still didn't catch it. Then two more started to unravel. And in trying to save those, I lost another one. Do you know what I mean? Meet Queenie Jenkins. Journalist, catastrophist, expressive, aggressive, funny, dramatic, loved, lonely, enough. A darkly comic and bitingly subversive take on life, love, race and family. Queenie will have you nodding in recognition, crying in solidarity and rooting for an unforgettable character. Oh, yes, it does. First of all, the cover of the book comes in lots of different wonderful colours. Uh, not that I'm taken in by a cover. Yes, I am. Um, but mine is orange. And at the time I got this, I didn't know there were other colours. But there's yellow, blue, pink, all sorts. So if, like me, you have a colour organised bookshelf, you can see where you might have a gap colour wise and be able to fill it with this lovely book but it's not just it's not just the cover um I have I need to apologize I think because previously I say oh, well it's a bit like Bridget Jones but it isn't it isn't it's fresh sort of contemporary writing about the struggles um of a of a woman going through about her identity her race her love uh of herself and of others it's there's um trauma there's there's all sorts I'm not going to tell you everything that happens but you get let into her life and really get to see what has made her who she is and what she might become um and I I'd say it's about it's about love it's about love of yourself and whether you don't love yourself or you do and how that has implications on on your life so um it, it's great uh, it's not one for the children certainly there are some dare i say it fruity sections um but it's it's a great read and an important read at this time so queenie candice carty williams i'm so glad i reread it uh, i just felt compelled to and queenie was uh, just as much a delight the second time round as, as she was the first time and i can't wait to see what this author comes up with next because i know it's going to be very very important and very readable so there we go that's queenie i would like to say as well i picked that book up before it was everywhere before people were talking about it i was just sauntering around a bookshop saw that saw the cover thought the design of it was was beautiful um liked that it sounded like a really different interesting read and and took it home so i'd like to say i was the first uh to uh, set up the very positive accolades obviously i wasn't but anyway i was before the masses i think we could say uh, but it's it's just a, a a great book um so the next one i want to talk to you about is called this is not a love story now 
I'm not big. Uh, I don't like romance books. I don't like, oh, we don't use the word chiclet anymore, do we? We use contemporary women's fiction. Um, but I'm, I'm not a fan of that where I don't believe in the main character or whether just oh, making decisions that really annoy me and that I don't understand. I think that's the difference. Sometimes you'll find a character that you do, uh, you know, you yes, they're making bad decisions, but you understand why and you sympathise with them and you're rooting for them. That's quite different. This book, um, you're absolutely right. This is not a love story. Mary Hargreaves. Um, I, I enjoyed this book. It's fresh. It's simple in a way that you're not going to get caught up in complex storylines and have to apply a cool compress to your to your forehead. It's not um, it's a thriller, crime, anything like that. Um, but it's a it's a it's a fun book. I enjoyed it actually. I really did. So um, this is not a love story. It's a book for anyone who's ever wished they were perfect. It's a book for anyone who feels like a failure. And it's not a love story. It's a real story. And it's hilarious. Maggie Gardner isn't good enough. She had six glasses of wine at a work conference, woke up covered in curry and has accidentally ended up living with the boring guy who was supposed to be a one night stand. Something has to change. Every other 20 something on Instagram seems to have their act together. So why doesn't she? And so she makes a list. When she's ticked off every item, she'll become Maggie 2.0, the best version of herself and the one she wants to be, won't she? Number one, go vegan. It worked for that girl on Twitter. Number two, take up yoga. That woman she hate follows swears by it. Number three, start practising mindfulness. All those people can't be wrong. Number four, quit smoking. It's not 1999. Um, I love the use of lists in this. I think I'm certainly a list maker and uh, it just shows that um, I, I'm not on my own. I love the fact that the book started not with, um, as books often do, um, a woman discovering that her partner um, spouse is not uh, entirely faithful and it's the woman who sort of suffers uh, as a result of that loss. This is, you're presented straight away with the person that she just doesn't really like. You've got this Martin who um, has high levels of uh, cleanliness, uh, I, I would say. He's very, he's OCD, I think we can say. And um, she's just waking up, listening to this guy cleaning away and knowing that he's the wrong one for her. Um, and I like that. It's a different sort of gutsy start to a book. It showed me that this was something different. And I read it very quickly, um, but I enjoyed the journey and I enjoyed enjoyed the characters, about 300 pages. Um, and yeah, so if you just want a break from, from everything, nothing too hard going, but with some good stories, there's still some twists and turns and what's going to happen and ha what's going to happen to Maggie? Will she be OK? Will she get through this somehow? There were some things she did where I just thought, oh, my goodness. But I stayed with it. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So uh, it's, a, it's a good read. Um, and it's called This Is Not A Love Story by Mary Hargreaves. So there you go. Get me all sort of non-crimey. Non but uh, now we'll switch, I think, to some, uh, some special thrillers and, and different types of writing. So The Catch by T.M. Logan. I listened to this as an audiobook. And before I tell you what I thought, I'm going to read you the blurb. Okay. 
She says he's perfect. I know he's lying. He caught me watching and our eyes met. That was when it hit me. There was something not quite right about my daughter's new boyfriend. The doting father. Ed finally meets his daughter's boyfriend for the first time. Smart, successful and handsome, Ryan appears to be a real catch. Then Abby announces their plan to get married. The perfect fiancé. There's just one problem. Ed thinks Ryan is lying to them. Who would you believe? All of Ed's instincts tell him his daughter is in terrible danger, but no one else can see it. With the wedding date approaching fast, Ed sets out to uncover Ryan's secrets before it's too late. Um, so the audiobook was nearly 11 hours long, so it's not a short book. And I'll be honest, um, I was interested in the premise of this story. And to begin with, I, I was fully committed. Part way through the story, I started to struggle because I was getting cross with some of the characters and the decisions they were making. So at that point, I was fully expecting to have to come on here and say I didn't like it. But then I carried on listening. I'm very glad I did. And the story transformed itself and it went from instead of me being cross with characters, I was just on the edge of my seat, wondering what was going to happen next, rooting for, for some people, not rooting for others, um, and really caught up in the story and was sad when it finished. Um, so I was quite surprised because normally with a book, I know what I, know, I have a really good idea of what my review will be a third halfway through. Um, yes, some, um, uh, particularly if the ending is weak or if it's strong, that can alter it. Um, and maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind earlier on. Maybe the narration affected the story with me. Um, but I was so glad I carried on. And I think I would recommend this book to people because um, it, it's quirky. It's something a bit different. You just don't know who to trust. Who's right? Who, who should you trust in this? Um, is it the dad? Is it the prospective son-in-law? Um, what role do the women have to play in the story? A really fascinating. So that's The Catch by TM Logan. I would certainly give it the thumbs up. And the, um, the, the latter part of it was extraordinary. So maybe I need to stop judging characters and just enjoy the story. Uh, one tip I will give you, well, I don't know if this helps or not, but when I was really stuck deep in the story and not sure whether to go on, I admit, apologies to the narrator and author, I did speed up the story more to um, two times the speed. You could still hear it perfectly well and, and keep pace, but it just allowed me to sort of get out of the rut that I was finding myself in. And then when the story picked up, I very much slowed it back down. I mean, I usually listen to audiobooks on one and a half times anyway, um, but I slowed it back down to that because the, the story was just so compelling. So there you go. Honest review. Um, and uh, that's what I thought. I did enjoy it, though. And thank goodness I carried on. Hurrah for that. Um, so that's The Catch by TM Logan. 
um, then I want to just recommend this podcast. So um, I'm always interested in what podcasts get suggested to me, obviously having a podcast myself. And I like to be able to laugh. I think there's enough going on, of which we're all very well aware of. And something funny that literally makes me laugh out loud is the thumbs up. So this is done by Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe, and it's called um, Lockdown Parenting Hell. Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe have, it's fair to say, younger children than I do. But they're stories of what they have to go through. And they each one or most episodes, they get a, a guest on who's also a parent talking about their experiences. Some their children are older, some younger. And you've got all sorts of um, people on there. You've got oh Jonathan Ross, Jason Manford, Alex Horn, Alan Davis, Daisy May Cooper, uh, John Richardson, all sorts of uh, very well-known comedians on there and just talking it through so um, if you haven't experienced the fun of lockdown parenting I don't know maybe it wouldn't be so funny um, but if you have I think it's uh, well worth a, a listen it made me laugh but frankly I'm taking on enough sugar at the moment to make anything seem funny really so there we go each their own and now we're going to come on to my interview with uh, Jenny Blackhurst we'll talk about the books that she's written her writing style uh, focus very much on her latest one someone is lying but also talk about the others uh, that that she's published which are all fantastic um, so here we go so thanks Jenny for joining me today really appreciate it um, the first question I mean you've got five books out so far what sort of books do you like to write um, well I do love writing psychological thrillers obviously I've got five yeah. of them out so I'd be a bit disingenuous to say yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't actually plan on writing psych thrillers to start with it oh. just yeah, it just sort of happened. Um, I think because of this place I was in at the time, I'd just given birth. I'd just been made redundant when I wrote How I Lost You and I had a four week old baby. Hmm. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of sort of loss of identity and I was going through a bit of an identity crisis. I wouldn't go so far as to say postnatal depression. I wasn't depressed about it, but yeah. because when people meet you, they sort of say, oh, what do you do? And suddenly I didn't do anything. I didn't have a job. And then you sort of, I'm Connor's mum. That's, you go to the doctors and they call out Connor's mum, you know, and, and you go to play groups and you sign in as Connor's mum. And suddenly yeah. I wasn't anyone else. I didn't have anything else. So I started writing in that place. And I think from that place, inherently what's going to come then is slightly darker and, you know, more psych thrillery because of those feelings I was experiencing um but I like to write stories I don't I wouldn't say if if I hadn't started my career in that way I wouldn't necessarily say psych thriller would have been the genre I'd have gone for um, I just like telling stories yeah. I like urban fantasy I like um I like witchy stuff I like um I like police procedurals I like tricksy mm puzzles and mysteries and I think that's probably what got thrown into how I lost you was the mystery the puzzle rather yeah. than the psychological rather than me thinking I'm going to write a psych thriller I started with a puzzle and then it became more psychological because of the place I was in yeah I was going to say a lot of your books have all those elements actually in one way or, or another um you know they're, they're just so 
brilliantly done that it's not just a very traditional site thriller i would say ah, this, thank you <laughs> it's a very sort of wide wide range so were you reading site thrillers before you i mean i appreciate um, you saying no not at all. no no i read um i used to read a lot of karen slaughter i was going through a massive karen rose um, yes. phase when I started writing How I Lost You, which might be why there was an erroneous romantic subplot in there that my editor made me take out. She was like, would she really be falling in love yeah. when all this is going on? Um, so whereas they did, um, there was still sort of that trust element and that spark element there. We did tone back on a lot of the romance that I put into that first book. And I think a lot of that was due to the amount of um, romantic suspense I was reading at the time <laughs> I binge read Karen Rose I think they're so easy to read and they're just brilliant uh, a good story which is what oh what great yeah, yeah yeah and they they propel you forward every page propels you forward I think I owe her a lot in my writing style which is like very short chapters and very sort of end on a cliffhanger and make you want to turn the next page yeah Definitely. Um, and th they're not part of a series. They're all standalone. So they're all quite different. Was that a, a journey for you? Uh, did, did you have an idea for the second, third book as you were writing the first one? Or was it really focus on one, give yourself time, and then the next brilliant story comes up? I mean, it's always different with your first book, I think. Um, well, it was with mine because I never expected anyone to read it. So there was never a second book in my mind really Gosh. because I never expected anyone would read the first one so even though there were going to be other books because I was going to write other stuff it wasn't going to be this is my first published novel then this will be my yeah. second published novel it was more just of um I'll get this one down onto paper um and then when I got an agent for it and it actually became real that it might get published I had to start thinking about my second book and the mm. second book that I pitched to my editor she didn't like um she Gosh. it wasn't i'll correct that she didn't say she disliked the storyline or um the story at all but it wasn't on brand because it was more of a detective novel than a psych thriller and she mm -hmm. said this first one's a psych thriller and quite rightly she was quite right to say this you need to if you're going to have a readership you need to stay on brand yeah um you can't go confusing people with bringing out a detective book and then a psych thriller and then something else after that you need to do a few first it's not impossible to switch genres i know lots of people who have done it but it's try and establish yourself with a readership first yeah um, and she was completely right to say that and um yeah i so i came up with a new psych thriller idea and they just bought headline just bought my first book because of the fact that I didn't have a second book to sell to them so if they took me on a one book deal and then how I lost you kind of took off a little bit Gosh, um, yes <laughs> it sold quite well um <laughs> and I an think that's when they were like okay come on get, get a new idea to us pretty quick um and that's when I produced my second psych thriller idea and that was when I thought to myself oh okay so we'll concentrate on psych thrillers for a while and I found that I I do really enjoy writing them and and I can still add those mystery elements of a police procedural and I can still play yes. around the twists. And in fact, we love a twist in a psych thriller, don't we? So uh, Absolutely. Yes. And your books are, are so character driven. Do you find yourself, you know, if you go out, not that we're going out much at the moment, but when you <laughs> go out, you know, a friend's worried that you're going to start putting characters like them in, in your book. 
Um, I've had a few people say to me, well, this is me, isn't it? And I'm like, uh, not exactly. But I mean, you, you can't help but take elements of people you know. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say one character has ever been one person. But there are elements of people I know within the books. So a personality trait, for example, that I would take. Um, but then the problem is when you take someone's personality trait, in a psych thriller, you have to twist it and make it darker. And so, because for example, Karen in, um, before I let you in my second book, it was her personality trait of always wanting to be the fixer in her friendships and always needing to be the, the glue that held the group Mm. together. That's not a bad personality trait to have, you know, wanting to be the, the mother figure of the group and wanting to help your friends and make sure that they're okay. But, in essence, I had to take that and make it dark and make it the reason that she was, you know, having this interaction with her patient. I don't want to say too much on that. Yes, no. Um, it's hard when you're talking about it. <laughs> but essentially, that, that friend who saw that, who I took that character trait from, then is like, oh, is that how she sees me? <laughs> no, not at all. It was just that no. that's how you need to, with psych thrillers, you take the best bits of people and make them, the worst bits sometimes and yeah you have to be careful what you steal so do the characters come first or or is the story the the twist the the plot the thing that first comes to you i'd love to say characters because i do feel that that's how books should be written in my mind that's how i would love to write books is that i have a character and then um put them in a certain situation and actually one of the books i'm working on at the moment um as kind of a side project I had the character first and I've loved working with that character and the story could pretty pretty much be anything and I would still love working with that character however with my psych thrillers it's always happened that the plot has come first yeah um I think I'm just trying to think back yeah they always start with some kind of what if although I do think in before I let you in I think I had the main character Karen at the same sort of at the same time so it was like this type of person needed to be in the the plot would only work if she was this type of character yeah um yeah but I think in general my plots start with a what if and then I'll find a character type that that would be the worst scenario for yes, and then build that all around yeah yes. yeah okay well let's let's focus on someone is lying it's your last book and I have to admit is it's my favorite um ah, thank you I actually listened to it on audiobook. I got a really long car journey and sometimes it's hard to get into audiobooks, but this one, I was just, I was completely hooked. It's a brilliant, oh, brilliant. story. I haven't listened to the audio. Oh, really? Oh, well, well I can't I... listen to my own books and I can't read them either. And that's terrible because I'm doing a reading out of one of them tonight. And <laughs> I, I just, I want to sit there with a red pen and change it all before I get, before I start. I mean, some people have said it's a bit like Desperate Housewives, the story. It, it, it's, you know, it's, that's it's absolutely got... what it was supposed to be like. Oh. If, you, if you feel like it's a bit Desperate housewives then you've got the right sort of vibe from that book. Yeah. Because that was the exact. In fact, I think I pitched it as um, Desperate Housewives meets something, but I can't remember what that pitch was. But yeah, pretty much that that's the line we want to go on these wickedly terrible people who are just basically only focused on themselves these narcissists who only care about how they 
look in life and how they come out yes so basically it's um i mean i'm summarizing here but it's based on um uh, a lady falls from a tree house and a year later uh, after her death things seem to have settled down but then um it's a very close community and there's a message on the school website saying that there's going to be a podcast series uh, looking into this and to find out what happened and was she murdered and who murdered her yeah that's a pretty good summary <laughs> and uh, obviously there's a lot of reaction to that and you you know throughout you get these different podcast episodes which i think is just such a brilliant construct for, for the book and very much of, of its time did where did the idea come from for that i can tell you where the exact idea came from from this so sometimes the the memory's a bit woolly of like how i how did i come up with that but this one i was sat on the sofa and i was watching like cereal was long gone um yeah. and we'd all loved that and making a murder etc mm. um but i was watching the i want to say the oh, i can't remember the title of the program they did about cereal do you remember what it was called? Oh, no, I don't. I, I'll be honest. I can't remember, but I know which one you're referring to. They did a programme yes. about it on yes. the TV. Yeah. And I was sat there watching that because even years later, I'm still gripped by that story. And I thought to myself, this exact thought came into my mind was, imagine sitting, listening to a podcast, you load up your favourite podcast or, you know, you load up a true crime podcast and then you hear your own name mentioned as a suspect mm. and i think it was because i was watching about jay jay was the guy who had given evidence yeah. um and he had changed his evidence so many times mm. and and so he'd been sort of drawn into this story and i thought imagine sitting listening to this podcast and suddenly you're named as like your name comes up in it and you're like wait a second how how did i get dragged into this yes. how am i a suspect and i just thought about the chills that would give you about hearing your own name read out and you're you know it starts to feel familiar and oh god this this podcast is about something that happened to me and I just thought that would be such a chilling thought to have and that's that was the spark of the idea and I didn't have anything else at that time I just wrote that down in my story ideas notebook ah. um, and then thought right I'll stick a pin in that I think I was working on something else at the time stick a pin in that and then then you come up with like on a separate day you might come up with a cast of characters or a setting and then you think oh have I got any ideas that would fit that mm. and so that was when you start to put these sort of bits of ideas together that you've got so it might be that I come up with a setting and I don't use that for three years because I don't have an idea that fits that setting but then all of a sudden I'll go back to my settings notebook and I'll be like oh that's perfect for this idea it's like fitting together a bit of a puzzle before you start yes and did you always know the ending because it's such a, a i thought a twist of i a, don't know a, the ending now if i'm honest with you <sighs> because i changed it that many times and in my <sighs> head it changed that many times that sometimes i forget which ending i used and um, so i think i probably do i think i can probably well, remember i won't say no no <laughs> thank goodness we don't have to discuss it here because i'm a bit like hmm, did i go that way or did i go that way well that shows then that you really were sort of feeling the process and feeling the story as you yeah, were as you were yeah. going along and and altering it which is absolutely fantastic and with my other books i can 
like I had a, an ending and even if it changed, it was one ending that changed firmly into another ending. Whereas this one, I sort of picked bits of the old ending and was like, oh no, I'll, you know, that would work better and that would work better. And mm -hmm. this motive, I knew the motives of my characters more by the end of the book yeah. than I had in the plan at the start of the book. And certainly after the second draft, the motives of the characters seemed much clearer to me. And I was like, oh, that character wouldn't have done that for that reason. So that's why I changed the ending so many times because I felt like with each draft, with each pass at it, I got to know my characters more. Yes. Um, whereas with, um, with past books, I've known the characters better, I think, on the journey. Whereas these ones, they were constantly surprising me. <sighs> Well, yes, and they constantly surprise me as a <laughs> as a listener, as a, as a reader. So, when you're writing it, does uh, because I know for some authors you, they see it in their minds if it's a film as they're writing. Is that for you, or is it also much more... with this one um, and the foster child? Actually, I felt very cinematically led with those both of those. Yeah. Yes, I could see um, the bright colours of the of the streets and you know I could see the houses perfectly I could see the greens the lush green gardens that are perfectly manicured maybe because I was going for more of a desperate housewives feel so I had a frame of reference yeah um and with the foster child in Gaunt everything was much darker in my mind as I was as I was writing it so the village just seemed darker whereas someone is lying when I think of that setting I think of somewhere I think of a bright blue sunny day I don't ever think of rain in that place. Um, I think of yes. a bright blue sunny day and, you know, and outdoor barbecues and things. Yeah. Whereas with Gaunt, I don't think the sun shone in my mind once while I was writing it. It always felt like the, and which is why I called it Gaunt. It's that bleak yeah. sort of desperate feeling, edge of the world, you know, always drizzling. It's interesting because, um, you know, you're saying it, you saw it, uh, almost like a movie in your mind someone is is lying uh, how it hasn't been made into uh, a film I don't know because it would it would just be brilliant played I do out, think like. yeah maybe because that's the way I saw it when I was writing it hmm. I do feel like of all my books that one is probably the one that would lend itself to screen best I think what what books are you reading at the moment what what's on your Hmm. I've been listening to Recursion by Blake Crouch on audiobook. Oh yes. What are you recursion? thinking of? Yes. What are you thinking of? I love him. I love Have everything you, he writes. Did you read Dark Matter? I listened to it on audiobook. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same narrator, John Lindstrom, I want to say. Um, and he's just I love them. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So I'm definitely trying to put that on instead of picking up you know whereas maybe I would have picked up a book before so I am I'm dipping in and out of books and I'm reading some some things but yeah I, I haven't got a big long here's my lockdown reading list no. <laughs> well it's not it's not normal time so you it's just not, do it? what you need to but thank you very much for joining me today really oh, appreciate you're welcome. it thanks for having me thank you so that was the wonderful Jenny Blackhurst uh, talking to me about her her books um, and I just wanted to give you the the blurb for someone is lying because I thought I should read that out properly um, so that you know a bit more of, of the sort of the setup of it so um, it reads like this one year after Erica spent 
Spencer falls from a treehouse at a lavish Halloween party. The residents of the exclusive gated community where she lived have come to terms with her death and moved on with their lives. Until one day, a post on the school's website announces there will be a podcast to expose what really happened on the night of the accident. Six suspects are named, with the podcaster promising to reveal the murderer by the end of the series. Everyone in this community has secrets to keep, and one of them is already a killer. Du, du, du. So there we go. That someone is lying by Jenny Blackers. I think we've covered a wide variety of books in this episode, um, and uh, I think I have caught up enough of your time. I was going to say wasted enough of your time. I haven't wasted it. We've been talking about books. It's glorious. But anyway, I shall let you get on with your day. Um, and I will look forward to, talk to you, talking to you again very soon. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram and on the Facebook group. Just always look out for the delightful orange image of me reading the book. And uh, it's always great to hear from you. Any questions, throw them my way. And uh, I've got some great books. I say this all the time, don't I? But I have really got some uh, great books to talk to you about next time. So take care and I'll speak to you again very soon. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.